You're listening to a Brain Stew Fresh Fright Review. What's up, creeps, and welcome to a brand new episode of Brain Stew. I'm Justin, and this week the boys are off on adventures, their own adventures. And I am once again joined by Epic Film Guys, Alum, and fan favorite, the god of podcasting himself. I'd like to welcome the man himself, Loisos. Well, hello there, everyone. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all that. You gotta have more energy than that. They're like rabid fans. Like they haven't heard your voice, I think, <laughs> since Top Gun Maverick or some shit. Oh my god! Fucking a, dude. You're back on the show, filling in here, and it is the Christmas season. And I've been happy so far since we've made our return after our hiatus, if you will, to be talking about more holiday horror. Uh, our last review was the mean one. Um, Y'all know. If you already listened to that, how we felt about that one. I dodged a but bullet we, there. <laughs> yes, you most definitely did um, by not watching that one. But um, this week we're talking about another holiday horror film that uh, last week was released in limited theaters. And on Friday, I believe it was directly released on Shutter for streaming. That's where I Joe watched Begos's, it. Yes, Christmas, Bloody Christmas. Um, Brian. Yes. It would appear this movie on paper, per se, would be, it's, it seems like it'd be tailor-made for the both of us. And, 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 and mostly, like, for most horror fans, right? Like, robot Santa killing people, it just sounds like th- that's the best way to bring in holiday cheer. Well, I know, you know, uh, I know that I always look to Black Christmas, You Turn Me On to Silent Night, Deadly Night. So, horror fans... They like a little horror in their in their holidays, and this is a horror, all right. But it's not the kind that brings you cheer. It's the kind that <laughs> puts a lump of coal in your stocking. I'm sure I'm the first ever person to be reviewing this movie to compare it to a lump of coal. But that's how I feel. That's how I feel. This movie is. It's just a lump of coal in your stocking. Dude, I'll say this much right now. Like within the first fifteen to twenty minutes of it, I wish that I had a coal-filled stocking in front of me that I could have taken and smashed into my face fifty times. That's how I felt by watching the majority of this movie. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you liked this movie, prepare yourself. Spoilers are coming. We're just going to talk about this thing all the way through. So yes, Christmas, bloody Christmas. Also, is- uh, also Joe Bagos, <laughs> if you're listening to this, uh, you, you got talent, you got ambition, you need someone to write your scripts, buddy. Ooh. It's not working out for you. Damn, man. Boy Sauce <laughs> hasn't been on in many, many, many months and he's already digging in hard on this motherfucker. But yeah, so this movie, in terms of like a description of what the movie is, it's pretty much what it sounds like. It's Christmas Eve. And Tori just wants to get drunk and party. I mean, who the fuck doesn't, though? But when a robotic Santa Claus at a nearby toy store goes haywire and begins a rampant killing spree through her small town, she is forced into a battle for survival. Okay. So the movie begins, and this character... 
Tori. Tori Toomes, played by Riley Dandy, I think she was on a Netflix show and some other small stuff, is walking into her job, which is a record store. And she is greeted by a friend, and she sees her co-worker, Robbie Reynolds, and it's like, you know, it's Christmas season, they're about to close up, and, and I get it, I've been that guy where you're like, man, let's just get fucking smashed, you know? The lights are bright, you hear the holiday music on the radio, and you're like, let's just really indulge in this. Um, Brian, the main issue I have right off the bat with this is the utter lack of respect for the audience. I feel like these characters are immediately right off the bat the most obnoxious people. I, I, I liken it to being at a, a, a drive bar sober and having to sit next to the most annoying, obnoxious, belligerent, and foul human beings on the planet. I mean, I I, I literally could not stand either of these people. And, I, and, and I've, I, I literally have spent so much of my life in the music industry playing at shows. I played in so many different metal bands. So I've, I, I did the dive bar scene. I did the, the music scene. And then doing the, the, you know, the, the horror movie scene as well, going to conventions and events and shit. I understand the perspective that, of who these characters are supposed to be, but I feel like they are over-the-top stereotypes of who the, the people actually are. Well, you know me, Justin. I'm no prude. Uh, obviously, but there comes a, there comes a point where the swearing just becomes so aggressive that it be, it, it, you become, you cross the line of being desensitized to it over into the territory of being just annoyed by it. Uh, I read something online. Someone actually was nice enough. I considered this while I was watching it, but someone was kind enough to make a tally. I was going to say, did they they count the fucks? Uh, And I forget exactly how many, but it was close to 500. For a 90-minute movie, that is inexcusable. Inexcusable. It means that you... Well, okay. I don't know if a screenplay existed for this movie because the dialogue feels very improvised. Um, But... One of two things. Either Joe Bagos wrote, uh, you know, close to 500 fucks into a screenplay, and that means he has no creativity at all when it comes to dialogue. Or secondly, the actors that he chose, he encouraged, he directed them to cuss as often as possible. It's literally every other word. So both of those things are bad. (laughs) Yes. And, and, And honestly, and I need to say this right at the forefront here. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you know you are listening to one of the most foul-mouthed, obscene movie podcasts that have ever lived. I mean, we've been around for almost eight years now, and there have been episodes where we've said the F-bomb like uh, 40 times maybe in an episode. The point is, we're not characters in a movie that are supposed to be likable. You just want to hear us talk about movies. And... I liken this to, you know, a lot of people are claiming this is a great throwback to grindhouse horror movies and a throwback to 80s slashers, low-budget movies, B-movies. I would love to know what movie they saw. Well, here's, here's the thing, Brian. There are a lot of movies that I like with unlikable characters. But at the same time, usually they're silly, stupid or there's something about them that you find charming, charming enough to be able to watch them until they get killed. You know what I mean? Here, 
I want to see them die in the first five minutes. Uh, you know, before the credits even roll and you see the title of the movie, I counted at least almost 20 fucks. And I was like, you know, if you're trying to get me invested in your characters, this is the wrong way to go about it. And yes, I am aware that there are some people that speak this way that are that foul mouthed. And, you know, even with, you know, the last Scream movie, Scream 5, I complained about that where characters were saying the F-bomb way too much. It was important back in the 80s and 90s when you would get an F-bomb or a bullshit or any kind of cursing where it was impactful because you didn't hear it a lot. So it would be a moment of, of comedy or it would, it would lighten the moment, you know? I've always said precision strikes. Prof- yes. Profanity is much more effective when you use it sparingly. Um, if you if you use it too often, it comes across as you have nothing interesting to say. And that goes for these characters who literally, it starts off as... Uh, all, you said it yourself, basically a podcast. You have almost 40 minutes of these characters uh, talking about, you know, music and and um, movies. And I have to say, uh, some of the takes here are some of the worst I've ever heard when it comes to <laughs> horror movies. Our final girl, the uh. one that we're supposed to like and relate to, prefers Pet Cemetery 2 and Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, to the originals. And for this alone, she deserves to die. (laughs) You know this was intentional, right? I I guarantee you... Actually, I can't guarantee shit. I have no idea what he was thinking when he wrote this script. But to me, it came off as he's trying to convey these horror fans that literally sit on Twitter arguing with people why... A shit movie is better than the original or why this sequel is better than the other. It is discussions that are had in the horror community and every, you know, community they regarding film in general. But I feel like he was like trying to say, hey, see, she's she's irreverent here. She's different. She's, she's got a hot take for this shit. Yeah, it's almost like he was trying to poke the bear a little bit and create conversation in the horror community just based on that alone. Oh, and it did, too. I saw many tweets where people were championing the movie simply because of the fact that our lead character preferred Pet Cemetery 2 over the original. And I, I like Pet Cemetery 2. I like that movie. I don't think it, there's anything wrong with it. Edward Furlong's in it. You know, good old John Connor himself. Well, there's it's, plenty it's a wrong. Fun horror movie. There's plenty wrong with it, but you can still enjoy a movie. <laughs> of course, there is. I mean, you can still enjoy a movie that's underappreciated or you know gets a bad reputation. Um, but uh, to me, having just um, these pointless conversations that don't relate to anything about the story, it doesn't really give you insight into the characters either. Um, and the characters shout at each other nonstop for, like I said, about 40 minutes. The first half of the movie, practically, um, while you're just desperately waiting for the killer Santa to show up to murder these assholes. Well, you know, you know my 15-minute rule, right? If they were really going to go by the playbook of 80 slashers, someone would have died in the first 15 minutes, and I counted that shit, and no one was dead yet. See, here's what I thought the movie was going to be. I thought it was going to be, and, you know, uh, fuck me for thinking that, you know, the movie would be entertaining in any way. But I thought that the, uh, so you have this this toy store robotic Santa that goes haywire, as you said. 
I thought it would kind of be like he goes through the town and like comes across various Christmas scenes, you know, people decorating for Christmas or, you know, kids leaving out milk and cookies for Santa and he shows up and creates mayhem and you'll see multiple deaths throughout the film, almost like a slasher film should do. And instead, it decides to have us be trapped in the company of these detestable characters. And then, uh, you know, suddenly the killer Santa shows up, murders a few people in some admittedly, you know, kind of cool and impressive ways. Uh, And then uh, the movie decides that it wants to be Terminator now. And then it just does the Terminator and the movie ends. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's really, I mean, it's really, when you look at this concept, when you look at this premise, you think, oh, that's cool. And honestly, we're starved for festive horror films that are like fun and brutal. I mean, um, a a brilliant one that comes to mind that you all talked about on Brain Stew uh, was the 2006 Black Christmas remake. That's not a high art masterpiece. I mean, that's that movie's trashy, but it's fun. And it delivers it, exactly it, what you want. It's super fun. There are unlikable characters in that movie, but you come to you come to really connect with them in a strange way. It it, it captures the essence of the holiday. It has Christmas music. All of the actors are all, all nice to look at in the movie. Sure. Uh, so just saying, not that the ones here aren't a lot of good looking people in this movie as well. Um, but that movie, it just really goes for the gusto. It goes for the throat. It just goes all the way with the idea. And it, and not to get too deep into that movie, but it's always fun to watch. It doesn't frustrate you. And for me, I just really wanted to have a fun time with this. And and after hearing, I'm sorry to interrupt, but after hearing so many people say this movie kicks ass, this is going to be part of my yearly Christmas rotation, you know, um, people were comparing it to the likes of Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Black Christmas. And I just want to ask, what were those people smoking when they watched this? Well, it's very interesting were they, because... Were they as drunk out of their minds as the characters in this movie were? Maybe he was thinking when he was writing this movie that this would be the perfect take a shot every time someone says fuck, and then you'll be the person will be dead by the end of the movie <laughs> from alcohol. Poisoning. In the first, you know, in the first ten minutes, they'd be dead. It's it's absurd how much language is in this, is in this movie, and I just I I really do think it uh, smacks of lack of creativity and and lack of. Uh, the ability to write good characters that you can root for. And this is exactly how I felt, uh, by the way, of Joe Bagos's previous films. This is now the third film of his that I've watched. I've hated all three. And uh, I think I'm done watching his movies. If he comes out with a movie... Okay, so, so you hated all three, though, but was this the worst of the bunch that you that you disliked? Because I haven't seen VFW. I want to say... I want to say... I, I disliked bliss the most bliss was um uh you know a a film about this this painter she's going through a creative block she doesn't know what to do and then she takes this drug that essentially turns her into a vampire um and she she spends most of the movie uh sulking around with these sunglasses on screaming at people and just being 
the worst character in any horror movie ever <laughs> Another made. Another asshole just, character movie? Yeah, she's, she just <laughs> is so uh, so toxic a character and so barbed and hateful and you just, you feel nothing towards her and uh, that's another film where the language just gets in the way of any any you know a, any dialogue in the film is just is just uh, peppered with all this pointless and I don't want to sound like you know a, a, someone who um, you know is a prude or like you know Siskel and Ebert back in the day uh, complained about violence in movies and language in movies I don't want to come across as that person because you know, uh, if a director has a particular style of some or something that he, uh, you know, wants to do in his movies, I'm not trying to, you know, um, say that he can't. But uh, it to me, it just comes across as lazy and puerile. Well, people, people give Rob Zombie shit, but this script felt like Rob Zombie wasted and on steroids. You See, know what I mean in terms of the dialogue. You and I and, talked about this movie a little bit, and I compared it. I compared Joe Bagos to Rob Zombie a little bit, and I think Rob Zombie is a much better filmmaker than Joe Bagos. And if you knew my opinions of Rob Zombie, <laughs> you know that that is not a comparison well, that I make lightly. Yeah, because we know you all. We all know you loved the monsters as much as I did. Fuck that movie. <laughs> See, listen, listen to how foul you are right now. I know. Maybe I mean, you, the, maybe, I, maybe you should have been one of the leads in the movie, Brian. Maybe I should have. It, it's rubbing off on me, I guess. But um, no, uh, I respect Rob Zombie to a certain extent. But I do feel like despite his talent, um, you know, he, he can make a movie that looks like a movie and uh, relatively, you know, we watch a lot of trash you and I, and, uh, you know, Rob Zombie's movies have a certain amount of, uh, professionalism to them, even when it's clear that he doesn't have the budget, uh, to make a film on, you know, the caliber of the devil's rejects or even house of a thousand corpses. The monsters was rough, but that movie had somewhat of a visual style. It was colorful. It was interesting to look at, I guess. Um, Anyway, so my point is, uh, Rob Zombie seems to be a competent filmmaker, but he doesn't really seem to have respect for his audience. It feels like his films are just so aggressive and almost like daring to be liked, um, you know, or daring to be embraced by the horror community in spite of itself. That's how I feel about Joe Bagos. It feels like he's just a provocateur rather than um, an auteur. And... um, you know, this movie has somewhat of a visual style. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, 100%. That's his one movies always have like kind of the, the neon blasted. It, it looks like he just set up a key light and put a red gel on it and pointed it at the actors and was like, there's your lighting for the scene. I, I mean, I dig that. I mean, a lot of people now are going for that aesthetic, you know, but you can tell the filmmakers that know how to use it wisely. And I, I really did. There were a couple of shots in this movie that I have to champion that I really enjoyed. I mean, the third act looks really cool. I mean, if I, I was recommending to someone the other day, they were like, I really want to watch it, but I know you didn't like it at all and you were shitting all over it. And I was like, dude, just skip past like the first act. Go to when the first kill happens. And if you watch from there, it's not nearly as bad. And I want to go back to what we were talking about in the beginning about the two characters. I don't dislike the idea at all of having these characters like normal record store people that love talking about music and movies like those are the people I hang out with. You know what I mean? But I just wanted to like them. 
I wanted to feel like those were my friends that I would hang out with at the bar. If well, the I thing hung is, out with these people, I would have gotten up from my stool and left. You yeah. know? The thing is, like these these two actors, they have chemistry. They you do. Can, you can tell that like even when they first start talking and you're not sure what their relationship is, you can sense like is are they gonna fuck? Like are you know, there's something between them, there's a tension. And as and the you night, wanted them to fuck, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, as the night <laughs> goes on and you see them, okay, now they're going to the the, the bar. Now they're going, you know, he's going to take her, like, he's going to give her a ride home. Then they make it to her place where uh, she says, my sister and her boyfriend are dead asleep. And then they proceed to blast heavy metal music and scream at the top of their lungs. Disrespectful. Um, and annoying, by the way. And then the sister and her boyfriend don't wake up. Like, they don't hear that this is happening. And they don't wake up until she runs into the room and wakes them up and says, you know, there's a, there's a killer Santa outside. Anyway, uh, I found Well, before that-, that, though, I mean, I have to say, the scene before that, I know really wet your fucking whistle because I know how much you love small children being in danger and not just small children being in danger in movies but small children being in danger in movies that are christmas movies well of course i mean i i uh appreciate that there was a child death in this movie even though we don't necessarily uh see the full impact we do see uh santa swing an axe and blood spray and that was that was nice um, I liked that. I, I liked the scene, especially because the kid's reaction is so genuine when he's opening up the present. He goes, oh, close. I felt <laughs> I, that. Dude, I, I legitimately laughed out loud at that. I'm not even going to lie to you. The movie could have used way, 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 way more of that. It needed that Christmas spirit. The thing about this movie is that it takes place on Christmas Eve. Sure. There are Christmas lights and de- decorations and there is a robotic Santa Claus. But aside from that, this movie has no um, interest in giving us the imagery and the spirit of Christmas, something that Silent Night, Deadly Night does exceedingly well. I have my problems with that movie. It's not perfect. Um, I didn't really like it until... Uh, I for I force you to like it. <laughs> I force you to watch it over and over again. Um, uh, hopefully, hopefully, eventually you'll come around on Christmas Evil as well. That's another one I hope that you'll continuously watch until you like it. I've only seen um, that once, and I thought it was fine at the time, but uh, I'll give it another chance for sure. I'll never watch this piece of shit again. Um, <laughs> but so you needed moment more moments like that, like someone baking Christmas cookies, or you know, uh, a couple ice skating, or you needed more of that, and instead. Again, we're just watching these two people drink themselves to death. Um, I was getting concerned at the amount of alcohol that these people were ingesting. I'm like, I mean, I I won't even lie. I've had a very high tolerance for a long, long time. I'm not currently on the bottle anymore. Um, but when I was, I would have a very high tolerance. But whiskey, which is what they were drinking, is so dangerous. It shit is deadly, and they just kept drinking and drinking and drinking. Um, I will say that this, the sex scene part was cool. That was well shot. And I was like, okay, great. You know, they're going to. And for once, it was actually a dude pleasuring a woman. Yeah. You know, Again, I, I, liked I mean, that. these are two, a little bit different. These are two very attractive people. It's I guess it's nice to see them make it because the tension was going on for so long. You were just waiting for them to, you know, explore each other's bodies. And when it finally happened, you were like, okay, good for them. Um, but you don't like them, you know, you don't feel any kind of warmth or passion 
towards them because you know they're awful people and so um that it didn't necessarily um uh, you know make any difference because one of them is dead two scenes later well, we don't know anything about them and right. i don't, I don't want to you know sit on the characters these two guys these two characters um forever but we don't know anything about them at all other than that they both work at a record store and they like these certain movies and they like this certain kind of music. You made an There's ex- no real backstory. You made an excellent comparison between um, Tori and Sarah Connor because this movie so desperately wants to be the Terminator um, that it tries having Tori be the Sarah Connor character. And I would like for you to talk a little bit about the comparison between them. In fact, um, you know, the fact that Bagos uh, wants you to have that emotional moment at the end where she's kicking ass and you're like, yes, like she's, you know, she's uh, fighting back against this machine and you just don't feel anything. And in fact, you're just begging for the movie to end at that point because it just keeps going on forever. Well, honestly, I was hoping I was I was hoping for a surprise ending and having the robot win. And then it would open it up for a sequel. And then I, I mean, maybe I would watch the sequel because then it would get rid of these characters. But no, I mean, if, if it clearly this movie is a huge love letter or if you want to call it a ripoff, I mean, it's a I'm rip-off. all down. I'm all, I'm, I'm totally down with a robot Santa movie. I, I, you know what? Not enough people appreciate the first Terminator. The first Terminator is my personal favorite of the entire franchise. And it's in my top five movies of all time. So you know, that down, dirty, gritty, low-budget, slasher, horror, sci-fi vibe. I mean, it was present here. The difference between this character and Sarah Connor, Sarah Connor's the girl next door. She's just trying to get through life. She's got a shitty job as a waitress. Kid puts an ice cream cone in her pocket. Her date for Friday night to go to the, you know, to, to have dinner. The dude ditches her. She goes out to the, you know, have a piece of pizza by herself, and she's just going to go catch a movie on her own. Normal, nice girl that gets thrust into this crazy situation and then has to deal with this crazy guy telling her that he's from the future. He was sent there. You know the story. I don't have to go into it. But you care for her because she's vulnerable. She's relatable. She's likable. And... Nothing about this character to me is. I've dated a lot of girls that act like this. Believe me. Being in the music industry, playing in metal bands, and hanging out with horror people for as many years as I have been, I've known a lot of foul-mouthed chicks. I have nothing wrong with that. My wife can be a foul-mouthed chick, but there's a difference between... There's that fine line between the two things. There's belligerent and obnoxious, and then there's like, okay, you're cool, and this just crossed that line. So, to get moving with the movie, at her house that she lives at with her sister, her sister's boyfriend, I cut you off earlier when you are mentioning this, they don't even know what's going on. They're woken up out of bed. She's screaming at them. She's being a complete bitch to both of them, especially her girlfriend's boy, her sister's boyfriend. Yeah, he, he goes to fetch the keys from the bedroom or something. There's something that he's, I forget exactly what happens, but he, he's going to do something. And the, um, Tori is just, uh, she like makes a nasty comment and like rolls her Shrill. eyes. And, yeah, it's just, I mean, again, uh, this is the character that we want to see through, uh, through to the end, um, you know, in theory. But I, I just don't understand why we allowed such 
toxic behavior from our uh, protagonist. But at any rate, um, yeah, uh, continue, please. No, so after this moment, her her sister and her, her sister's boyfriend are basically just, you know, fodder to be killed off immediately. And the kills for them are not very creative or interesting or anything like that. And the dude that just, you know, ate her out gets pulled through a window and then we have our first real major cool kill because before this the only I mean, there was a couple fucking in the toy store which i also was like okay that's fine it's that's from the point like, of view of the robot but it's shot terribly yeah it it, it feel, felt like a video game to me um but those are characters we don't care about either and both of those characters were also obnoxious and unlikable um but we have our first major kill here so i told you earlier in the review spoiler full with this um but the character of robbie who literally just i mean he didn't get laid himself but he 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 had some contact there um he gets axed he's dead and i think from this moment forward brian if i understand the film correctly from my viewpoint this is where we're supposed to really connect with our lead tori because she's seen this guy that just literally licked her pussy get murdered in front of her. And now we're supposed to be like, that's terrible. Oh, my God. Now now we suddenly want her to see her be victorious against this robot Santa. But it doesn't happen that way at all. No, I think uh, if he had actually put work into the screenplay and made these characters people that we liked, um, then one of two things could have happened. You could have killed him off and it would have been devastating. We would have felt for her. You would have felt an impact. Or you could have had them both survive until the end and have it be a happy ending, which also would have been nice. Um, But instead, uh, neither happens. Instead, uh, these are, uh, again, just miserable people that we don't care about. One of them dies, we feel nothing. One of them survives. We feel nothing. (laughs) Yeah. um, And and then then moving forward, I mean, there's not really much else that impactful that happens in the movie. But this is my favorite part of the movie after that kill happens because we got all that out of the way and we know what we're in for. We're just in for more killing. And she gets taken back to the police station. Of course, we're in another one of those generic situations where no one believes her because she's saying, a robot Santa killed these people. Which is in and, every movie. Which is in every movie. And then, I mean, it's it's not like the Terminator in the sense that the, the robot Santa Claus comes into the police station to start killing cops because there's only two cops on duty. But a, Well, that also may have been t- a bridge too far in ripping off the Terminator. I mean, it is, it is a scene where the robot Santa drives an ambulance to the police station. A pretty cool explosion happens. I, I looked like it was you know, CGI explosion, but it was really well done. I actually don't know. I thought the the explosions and the fire looked pretty real and pretty practical. I could be wrong. Um, if it was CGI fire, I would say that uh, it's very impressive. Extremely well done. I mean, I, I questioned myself whether it was real or not because the explosion at the end, I was like, oh man, this actually looks real. And it looked expensive. Way, it looked- it, like, I mean, yeah. I think Bego shows ambition here i feel like if he were given a sizable budget he could direct and notice i say direct and not write a pretty you know kick-ass action movie or or something um because he shows 
a little ambition here. I think at this point you're way past caring about anything that happens. And um, it, it, because it goes on for so long and because you're not connected to anything that's happening, um, you're you're just kind of sh left shrugging your shoulders when you should be pumping your fists and you should be cheering. Um, but I was, I was uh, quite tickled to see what looked like actual explosions and actual cars running in, running into each other and um you know stunts and i mean it's cool it or yeah, it would all, the, be. all that stuff all that stuff was wonderfully done i'm not i'm not gonna you know as much as the movie did not work for me and i can't recommend it there were some cool spots in the movie where i was actually legitimately impressed by it um i think the third act really is the most powerful of the whole movie it is the the part that rips off the Terminator the absolute most, but I think that's really what he was trying to do. Um, so I also feel, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, man. I also feel that, uh, the reason why the third act works as well as it does is because it actually embraces its concept of a killer robot Santa. Uh, before that, it just seems like a dude wandering around in a Santa suit. Well, it is, it is just a dude. Um, <laughs> It's a, a an actor named Abraham Benruby. Um, apparently, Bagels did not want to go with a stuntman. He wanted to go with an actor. Um, and boy, does he act his ass off in terms of motion and movement, totally mimicking what Arnold Schwarzenegger and Robert Patrick had done in their previous roles as, you know, killer cyborgs in the Terminator movies. His eyes, the way they the eyes move first, then the head moves, and he was he's more robotic though. He's more RoboCop in this movie than he is Terminator in terms of his actual movements. Um, but that was the thing I was going to mention to you. The poster looks so cool. I mean, the green glowing eyes, and I really was just hoping early on that the skin would be removed and we would actually get like you know kind of like Arnold and Terminator and Terminator 2 when half his face is ripped off the skin and the you know the flesh and then you'd have robot face and like a, a green eye or something that would add this awesome iconic imagery for this character in the movie and instead we literally get what you can clearly tell is just a dude in a Santa suit you know what I mean like it didn't it didn't go full B movie with it until the end and we might as well get there now so the character that we're following throughout this thing ends up going back to where we started in the beginning, the record store that she manages. And she's battling with this killer Santa. And eventually, Brian, that does happen where you start to see like this green glowing like gear coming out of his throat. And then, you know, by the last few minutes, it's literally just a robot that you see. And it is mimicking exactly what you see from the original Terminator where it's like, you know, it's, it's just a torso with arms reaching for her and constantly still trying to come to kill her. And it goes on for entirely too long. It just drags and drags. And I get it. They really wanted to showcase that prop because it looked really cool and it was practical and they did a lot with it to make it look and move a certain way. But... I literally just wanted it to end by that point. And I, you know, th there's one thing if you're going to homage, you know, a movie or, you know, rip off a movie. And a lot of people I saw were really championing the music. Um, the score by Steve Moore, for the most part, is pretty much what you hear in every other horror movie now. A throwback retro synth wave styled score. 
But at the end here, Brian, he is almost beat for beat taking Brad Fidel's score from the Terminator and just redoing it with slightly different notes. I'm it's telling, literally the same thing. I'm telling you, he was told to do it that way by Joe Bagos because I'm he sure. wanted to make the Terminator. And, um, you know, uh, this, is a, this is a trend because VFW was basically Assault on Precinct 13 set in a bar. It was literally, he just decided he woke up one day and thought, I'm going to remake Assault on Precinct 13. Won't be able to get the rights, so I'll just change a few things around and we'll call it a day. Well, you know that with, with this movie, he originally came up with this as an idea for a remake of the 1984 movie Silent Night, Deadly Night, but just suggesting the murders could be by a Terminator esque android. And of course, you know, the rights holders were like, nah, we're not doing that. That's straying way too far from the original movie. So he continued to develop it as this thing, and I'm actually glad. But it's interesting to hear people on, you know, horror film Twitter or Instagram be like, he's, he's the next, he should be the guy to do the next Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's like, dude, he already tried, and they said no. But this is, I'm actually glad that he made this his own thing, his own original idea, even though it's not really original at all. But I think all the robot stuff at the end... For me, at least, and, and I know for you, we love practical effects. We love old school, cheesy science fiction and horror movies. And I think that he really hit the nail on the head with the robot stuff. Um, I just wish that it had more impact. You know what I mean? And I wish that we got to see it doing more, more killing, more cool kills. I mean, and I, I definitely talked about this in our review of The Mean One, and this is going to come up all the time. But we were so spoiled by Terrifier 2. I mean, that's the bar. It's set so high. So anything you see from here on, it, it, it's going to have to try really hard to have that level of impact with the kills. You know what I mean? It just, it went it went as far as it possibly could. And the stuff that we saw here was cool. It was good. It was practical. It was overall well done. And I was impressed by most of it, even though none of it was like, jump out of your seat exciting. Um, but all that stuff for the most part worked. I just, by the end of the movie, I just felt unfulfilled and like, okay, well, I see what you tried to do there, but I feel that you failed. And it is, I, sh- I shouldn't say it's surprising to me that so many people liked this because as you said, so well put earlier on in the episode, people are hungry for this. You know what I mean? People, especially me. I mean, I love the Christmas season because of the nostalgia and I love watching the movies. And most of those movies are horror Christmas movies. Let's watch Elves, dude. I mean, it's literally <laughs> one of the best movies ever made. Even though you can't find it on Blu-ray because it's not available. But Please, someone put the, put Elves on Blu-ray. Come on. I, I, We're I all have waiting to, I, very I have patiently. to champion this because I don't, I don't know if you noticed. When we screened Krampus the other night for Terror Tuesday at Alamo Drafthouse Ashburn, the pre-show, did you see the pre-show had clips from Elves peppered throughout? <laughs> I, I kept going up to Stephen N and being like, you need to make Brian force you to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I, I do feel like there are people out there who are praising this film. And if you, I mean, honestly, if you're out there listening and you re- you watch this film and you really liked it, uh, all the power to you, I guess. But I, I just... To me, it and I'm a guest on this show, so I feel comfortable in, in, in saying this, but I feel like there's there's a particular subset of horror fans out there 
who will praise anything if they think that they can get some clout from it um, or if someone will notice them because they praised a certain movie. Um, I, I, I feel like I have standards and I have conviction and I can I can very proudly say that I think Joe Bagos is a hack. I'm sorry. I just think his movies suck. Um, this is no exception. And you mentioned Terrifier 2. Terrifier 2 is not a perfect movie in my mind. I know, uh, you know, in terms of uh, horror movies released this year, it is a highlight just because you can tell how much care and passion was put into the effects. Um, the characters, they really try to make you invest in the characters of Sienna and her brother. And Lauren Lavera uh, gave such a soulful, soulful performance. She's a badass. Um, you care about her fate. You know, she fights to the very end. She survives. And you get like an emotional feeling at the end because you feel it's a cathartic experience. That's what horror should be. It should be cathartic. There's nothing cathartic about this film. There's nothing redeeming about this film other than some neat practical effects. Um, a cool looking robot that you don't see until the last, you know, 15 minutes of the film. Um, so, I mean, w what's left really? What's left here? Um, Not I'm getting much angry. Else. No, <laughs> I can tell. It's been a long time. You're getting red in the face. And, you know, no one can argue the fact that, oh, well, he didn't care that these characters were detestable. He didn't care that they were unlikable because they're not supposed to be. She's a final girl, dude. And those hero shots of her with blood all over her face in slow motion with those close-ups are a clear indication that he was trying to make her a modern-day Sarah Connor, a new iconic final girl. And also a final shot that rips off, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and plenty of other horror films. We've seen it all <laughs> before. I mean, come on. Well, Brian, I feel like we've kind of said enough on this thing. We got to get it to the little segment we do to review and get our rating on this. It's called Trash It or Treasure Trash It. it. Oh. Trash It. Trash before It. I even, before trash I even... <laughs> Before I even finished, he's, you're you're already over here trashing it. Well, we've already given the reasons as to why, but I'm definitely going to trash this movie as well. I, I almost drove an hour to see this movie because, you know, we work at Alamo Drafthouse. Alamo did not pick it up. And I understand, you know, Violent Thank Night God. came out. Um, you know, there's in the mean one was doing limited release. So there's a lot of stuff for people to watch right now. But I, I would not. I would not want to subject this movie to an audience. I almost. I. I considered looking into booking this film, and uh, we. You know, we decided not to. There's a lot. Lot of holiday programming going on at the Alamo, and we ultimately decided not to pick it up. And uh, now watching it, I'm like, I'm. I'm glad I didn't have an audience pay to go see this in a theater. I watched it on Shutter. I'm proud to have a Shutter subscription. I. We love Shutter. They're doing amazing work, and. Um, I I I I feel like some people are praising this movie because they just love Shudder. They love Christmas horror movies and they want this one to be great. It's not. It's not anywhere close. No. It's not. And so, I mean, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. That is our review of Joe Bagos's Christmas Bloody Christmas. A little side note and I find this hilarious and you know, I don't you know, this is nothing personal against anyone that helped make the movie. Um but there was uh, a tweet that I was involved with regarding this movie where I commented, it was a shame I wasn't able to make it out to see this because I didn't have the time to drive an hour. And the director of this movie literally commented to my tweet and said, do it. It's worth it. And 
sorry, but I would like to say that you're incorrect about that. Well, there's there's certainly nothing wrong with a director being vocal on, no, on Twitter. I mean, we not. see I mean, James Gunn interacting with fans, and he's un- he's under a little bit of heat right now because he's essentially resetting the oh DC God, universe. Oh, God, don't even get me started on that, or are we talking for 35 minutes about that? But he's being open and transparent on social media. He's interacting with fans. I think that's important, and, I, you know, especially for an indie horror film director, uh, wanting to you know get his name out there and promote his movie, I think it's totally fine that he's you no. Know, I agree. I agree. Listening I to... to reviews and and commenting on people's stuff, I think that's great. Um, but <laughs> you know, um, when your movie's not good, um, and you know, we're we're trying to be honest and we're trying to give like you know feedback. I would love to see Joe Bagos direct a, a film that I actually like. Um, Will I ever know that he directs a film that I would like? Probably not, because I don't know if I'll watch it at this point. He's 0 for 3. 0 for 3. Well, this is the first movie of his that I've watched, and I'll be as honest as I possibly can about that. And I I may watch VFW. I don't know at some point. Um, there are just certain filmmakers that some of us don't connect with, and that whole my official tagline for this show that always has been, film is subjective, and as it is here you know this one just didn't work for us and i, I love to champion indie horror i love Me to too. champion anything that i have a passion for i mean i wish that i loved this movie but not everything's going to be a winner you know uh, i would recommend if you want to see an awesome fun bloody christmas movie this season go see violent night which we did not review <laughs> but brian i already know what you think about that but we're not going to go on any further about it but go see that movie enjoy the classics instead and you know what if if, if you are that person that just says, fuck these epic film guys, fuck this brain stew show. I'm going to go watch it anyway. Just letting you know, don't say we didn't warn you. But thanks so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like to find us, we are literally everywhere on social media, at Epic Film Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We do have a Patreon, which we're attempting to revamp right now. And uh, the upcoming screenings that we'll be involved with for Alamo Drafthouse next month, Brian, what do we have? What's going on there? Isn't there a little movie we just announced happening for Friday the 13th? <laughs> yes, on Friday the 13th at Alamo Draft House, DC area, Ashburn, Friday the 13th, 3 and 3D. And I'll be extremely happy when this finally happens. We are going to be screening Killer Clowns from Outer Space on the 31st of January for Terror Tuesday, so be on the lookout for that as well. I always like to try to promote that stuff here, even though I know a lot a lot of you live in the DMV, D.C., Virginia area, but hey, if you are or you're willing to make the drive, come on out and see us. I intro the movies, and it's an absolute blast. Great group of people to hang out with. Yeah, I'm there every time, and it's an opportunity to get to hang out with us and tell us how wrong we are about Christmas Bloody Christmas. Yes! <laughs> I always, I always welcome these discussions that's my favorite thing to do if you love a movie i hate or i hate a movie you love that's my favorite thing to do too many people have issue with being able to talk these things out rather than just screaming at each other you know like these characters did in this movie when they had a disagreement about a movie you're supposed to be able to talk about it debate we all love movies. I mean, that's what it's all about. Exactly. I mean, James Gunn getting death threats on Twitter. Like, come on <sighs> now, people. Let, let's let's be civil. Let's be respectful. And uh, don't don't yuck anybody else's yum and vice versa. I mean, just, you know, 
Listen, just drink your fucking egg. Be respectful. Be excellent to each other. Go put on Bing Crosby or I'd prefer Frank Sinatra Christmas music or even the August Burns Red Christmas albums and just have a blast. Watch some great Christmas horror movies and enjoy your season. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes or if you use Spotify, it's even easier. Just a little five-star thing. And uh, until next time, I'm Justin. I'm Loisos. And as always, we like to ask you to keep it creepy.